Since the beginning, we have needed rescue. Then God became flesh and blood. Dying on the cross and defeating the grave so that we may be saved. This is the third week of our current five-week message series for the season of Easter. We're calling this series Victory because Easter celebrates victory, Jesus' victory, his win over death, as well as our redemption. The noun redemption, the verb redeem, is a word that's used both in the church and in secular society. The dictionary actually defines redemption as Compensation, compensation for the faults or bad aspects of something. We use the word redeem when an experience or exercise was difficult or disappointing, but then turns out all right in the end. A good outcome, a happy ending, a great reversal can make up for a whole lot of difficulties or disappointments. As a culture, we love stories of redemption, too. Whether from Hollywood or real life, we love stories of turnarounds, upsets, underdogs triumphing. Why? Because whether we recognize it or not, whether we know it or not, we all long to be redeemed. Think about it. We can all agree that nobody's perfect. We we know that. We know that we can sometimes, in fact, be far from perfect, further than we would want others to know. And that's the other side of this. We want to please others. All of us have a desire to please someone else. As kids, we want to please our parents and our peers. As adults, we want to please our spouse, our boss, our colleagues, our customers. All of us want to please someone else. And All of us, whatever level of self-confidence we may have, sometimes feel the sneaking suspicion that we're falling short of the mark. We long to become something more than we are now. Throughout history, the great religions and philosophical systems all taught, I must do more. I must do more to make me right. I am not now as I could be or should be. I must do more. And as we noted last week, the difficulty with that perspective is that when the challenge or problem with you is you, then how are you supposed to fix you? Christianity offers another way forward. Because that desire we have in our hearts, that desire to please others, it's not unique to you or me. It's actually given to us by God. And ultimately it points to a desire to please Him and give back to Him 
what he deserves. In fact, our deepest desire is to please God. And of course, sometimes our lives are not pleasing to him. And that's precisely where Jesus' life, death, and resurrection come in. Jesus lived a perfect life in a way we can't. Each day in every way, in every moment of his life, he obeyed his father in a way we don't. His was a life of obedience to the Father and perfect surrender to the will of the Father, even when it meant death on the cross. He lived a perfect life, perfectly pleasing to God, and that put us back into right relationship with God. God accepts his life on our behalf, and that's redemption. The bad news is we can't redeem ourselves. The good news is we don't have to. The great thing about God is that he can bring good out of bad and hope out of fear, joy out of sadness and sorrow, life out of death, and out of abject, utter, and complete failure, victory. His victory can redeem us and make our stories success stories. We see this so clearly in the story of the early church. The first friends and followers of Jesus were flawed individuals, that's for sure. However, Jesus chose, chose them, flaws and all, to launch a movement that quickly gained momentum with a worldwide impact. So over the course of this series, we're taking a closer look each week at a few of these first followers and their specific faults and flaws, as well as the change and transformation that took place in their lives as Christ followers. Last week, we looked at Thomas and how he overcame pessimism, skepticism, and doubt to become a great and effective man of faith. Today, we're going to take a look at the apostle Simon Peter and how specifically he was redeemed. Peter's story can be instructive for so many different kinds of people. If, for example, you wish you were a little more disciplined, if you ever speak without thinking and sometimes get yourself into trouble, if you act impulsively and awkward, even bad things ensue, then Peter's story is for you. But most of all, if you've ever made a mistake, I mean, a big mistake, a really big mistake, then Peter's story is definitely a story for you, too. Let's start with his name. Simon was the name given to him by his parents, but Jesus gave him a different name. The Aramaic name was Kepha, which means big boulder or rock, translated into Greek, which was the original language of the New Testament. We have Petros in Latin, Petrus in English, Peter. Jesus called Peter rock, ironically, since he was anything but rock solid when it came to his temperament and personality. He was impetuous, impulsive, impatient, and incredibly outspoken. We see this on full display on a number of occasions in the gospel. When Jesus questioned the disciples about his identity, 
Peter was the first to speak up and boldly announce that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. When many, probably most of the disciples at one point, walked away in protest from Jesus because his teaching seemed too radical, Peter was the first to pledge his loyalty. His willingness to just jump into things and give his all made him a leader on the one hand. On the other hand, it also got him into trouble. When Jesus said he was going to the cross to die, Peter dismissed such talk and in turn, Jesus sternly rebuked him. At the Last Supper, he made a rash promise that he was willing to die with, with Jesus forcing Jesus to confront him with the sad truth of what was really going to happen. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he grabbed a sword and cut one of their ears off, leading Jesus to reprimand him one more time. Then, after Jesus' arrest, during his trial, then comes Peter at his worst. When he was recognized as one of Jesus' followers and called out for it, Peter responds without hesitation, I don't know the man. And in that denial, all of Peter's bravery and bravado fade away. Turns out he's a man of deep-seated fears, but he's still impulsive. And in that moment, his impulsiveness is fueled by his fear. And that's a bad combination, leading to a profound failure in judgment and character. You know, there are some failures that are defining moments, some mistakes, so all-encompassing that everything is different after than before, some sins that feel like unforgivable sins. Peter's betrayal of his closest friend changed everything for him. More than any other single fact, that fact came to define Peter. Instantly, the gospel tells us, instantly he regretted it. He wept bitterly. He ran into hiding, and even after the resurrection, he remained in hiding, trying to maintain his distance from Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to Peter's betrayal and subsequent shame? Well, that's just where we pick up this story today. We're in the 21st and final chapter of John's Gospel where we read, Jesus appeared to the disciples again by the Sea of Tiberias. Simon Peter and the other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. So, Peter tells the other apostles he's going fishing. It seems so insignificant, but it's not. He doesn't mean that he's going fishing for fun or some form of recreation. Peter means that he's going back to his former way of life, to the life of a fisherman that he had before he met Jesus. After his betrayal, he doesn't see how he can possibly follow Jesus anymore or have anything to do with him at all. While out fishing early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, 
But the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets to the right side of the boat. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. This is actually just like the very first time Peter met Jesus. Peter was also fishing that time and also catching nothing. Until at Jesus' instruction, he changed his approach and caught a huge haul. A significant parallel for sure not to be missed, but not the only one in the story. We read, for instance, as soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he jumped into the sea. As soon as, which also sounds a lot like their first meeting, immediately he left everything and followed the Lord. Or how about this parallel? When they climbed out on shore, they saw a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire. Where did we see that before? The night of Jesus' arrest, we're told it was cold, and the officials were standing around a charcoal fire, and Peter was with them. Peter denied Jesus the night of Jesus' arrest while standing before a charcoal fire. So Jesus invites Peter back to the fire for one further parallel to the past. Another fireside exchange, but a very different kind of exchange leading to a very different outcome. And the exchange went like this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, Jesus asked, do you love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. A third time, he said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A third time, a third time. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. In this brief episode, Jesus takes Peter back to the beginning, the beginning of his story, to begin again, only this time with a different ending. He deconstructs Peter's complete denial and reconstructs it as a complete pledge of love and faith. And not only that, he charges him. He charges him to feed my sheep. In other words, he puts Peter in charge of the whole thing, in charge of this whole movement which he was launching, which would be the church. And in this new commission, Peter would go on to demonstrate incredible courage and unfailing faith, as we read in today's first reading, where he stands up boldly to the hostile, powerful authorities. Peter served as the undisputed leader of the apostles and the whole church for the rest of his life. He confidently, courageously followed Jesus, even when it eventually meant his death in Rome. Interestingly, he was crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't consider himself worthy to die as Jesus had died. In a very real way, we still follow Peter as the Pope is his direct successor. So what do we do with these lessons from Peter's life? Well, there are lots of takeaways for sure when it comes to 
finding the courage of our convictions, seeking forgiveness, getting and using second chances. But I feel very much called to address just one this morning, and this one doesn't apply to everyone here for sure, not by a long shot, not at all, but it applies to someone. In fact, there's someone here today, I don't know who, but I know there's someone here today who needs to hear this message. The reason you're here, the reason you're joining us is precisely to hear this message. Because you're like Peter. You're guilty. You're guilty of an unforgivable sin. That's the way it feels. You've done something, and it disqualifies you. Disqualifies you from grace and favor, from even ever really turning to or talking to God, much less serving him. You don't think he can use you. You don't think he would even want to use you. That's what you think. And if that's what you think, like Peter, you're wrong, respectfully. You're wrong. Today, God is inviting you to reconsider because there are no unforgivable sins. Peter is proof of that. God's not interested in shaming you or punishing you or writing you off. God is interested in healing you and making you whole and rewriting your story into a different story and a better story and using you to serve him. Can begin simply by simply saying you're sorry. And it can actually really happen in the sacrament of penance, in confession. Your Redeemer died on the cross and rose from the dead and lives in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus' death and resurrection give us a fresh start, a new beginning, proving that our past faults and failures can not only be forgiven, they can be forgotten. They can be redeemed. 